Seamus, The Case of the Mason Jar, Part 14, The Island, is based on the book by John MacDonald, The Bullet for Cinderella. These business partners of yours, you're certain they would kill you. (laughs) I know where the body is buried. I thought I could play them. I guess I wasn't careful. Yeah, they would kill me. She turned to look out the window. Her voice became softer. It was a party. I didn't want to go in the first place. I knew it would be a brawl. And it was. The man got himself killed. Got too excited. Not a bad guy. Young guy. His rich daddy is a big-time politician. This kid acted like he was some sort of a thug out running around with an edgy crowd. You know, like to know people by their first name. Like to be seen with people who had been in jail. Like to have the reputation it gave him. He thought his rich daddy offered him protection, too. He got suddenly taken dead. Short of an accident. A very scary guy shot him right in the head. I was the only outsider. I know where they put him. That rich daddy has spent a fortune in the last, what, five years looking for this kid. He's still looking. It could be very bad. It was very bad at that time. I'd never seen anything like that before. Knowing what she knew about the kid's murder, they would kill her now that she'd gotten away. They needed her for the honeypot scam they were running. When she wasn't so pretty anymore, they wouldn't have any use for her. They might have killed her anyway. I'm dead. There wouldn't be much police interest over me. Because of the rich politician daddy. The police are real interested in the kid. In the kid that they killed. The scary guy with the gun was drunk. I was with the scary guy with the gun. The kid thought my date was too drunk to know or care. He had his arms around me when when he was shot in the head. When the bullet hit his head, he grabbed onto me so hard I couldn't breathe for a week without it hurting Then he let go and fell down and tried to get up and went down for good. It was at the farm. They put him in an old cistern and filled it with big rocks. They had his car repainted and sold through channels. The only chance I have is to disappear for a while. If nothing happens in six months or so, they'll stop worrying about me and maybe they'll stop looking. But I know what I'm going to do. Blonde dye job. Cut it short. Maybe, maybe glasses. Fade into the background, get out of the country. I'd feel better if I just put some distance between Texas and me. I was wondering how I could keep her away from the motel and still stall long enough to get to the Haver place at one. She helped out. What's been going on down in Leebrook anyhow? Lizette and her boyfriend under the cement... That Hirsch girl missing. Leon knocking himself off. Sounds like it's been pretty, pretty wild down there. I want to talk to you about that. Just what do you mean? I'm new in town and there's been a lot going on and I haven't had anything to do with it. I mean, I've been in on it as a bystander, but that's all. But the police like to keep busy. I think it would be better if we didn't go back through town to the motel. I think it'd be better if we grabbed something to eat and went after the money first. You could be picked up? I might be. 
But what for? I, I, I don't like this. If they pick you up, they pick me up. The word would get back to Reading too damn fast. I'm sorry, but that's the way it is. I don't like it. I can't help that. I think we ought to go after the money. When we get it, we can circle around town and get to the motel from the south. Then we can pick up our luggage and be on our way. And that means spending too much time in the area with the money on us. Why, why don't we circle around and, and, and get the baggage first, huh? Then when we get the money, we're on our way. They know where I'm staying. Suppose they're waiting there to pick us up. Damn it. How did you manage to mess this up, James? I didn't mess it up. It isn't a big city. I'm a stranger. They're after a man named Stucky. I remember that name. You said he knows about the money, too. He doesn't know where it is. You're the only one who knows where it is. Why are they after him? On account of the girl? They think... they think he took her? And they think he was blackmailing Leon because he found out about Lizette and her boyfriend being dead. They think he killed Leon and maybe a private detective named Pratt. Busy little man, isn't he? That puts me in the picture because the three of us, Stucky, Floyd, and I, were on the force together in Pensacola. I knew this was going to be a mess. I just knew it. Don't be such a pessimist. Why the hell didn't you bring all the stuff along right in the car? Why didn't you check it out? If I checked out, they'd be looking already. I suppose so. But you could have brought my stuff anyway. I didn't think of that. You don't seem to think of much of anything, do you? Don't get nasty. It isn't going to help. Everything gets messed up. I was all right. Now I'm on the limb. You think I should be happy about this? I think we ought to get the money first. I can't go like this. I, I, I don't want to ruin these clothes. Ruin your clothes? Where are we going? Never mind that. You haven't got anything but good clothes, and I stopped too suddenly. So you had to poke around. Did you have a good time? Did you like what you saw? It's nice stuff. I know it's nice. Sometimes it wasn't so nice earning it, but I know it's nice. I have good taste. Did you count the money? Attractive color, don't you think? Green? I counted it. It better all be there. And the jewelry better be there, too. Every damn stone. The jewelry's worth more than the money. A lot of people thought it was junk jewelry. <laughs> it isn't. It's worth three or four times the money. It's all there. It's safe. It better be. I can't go in these clothes. We'll have to go somewhere where I can pick up some jeans. I thought I could buy them in Leebrook. Now we can't go to Leebrook. So where can we go? You know the area better than I do. Mm, let me think a minute. She told me where to turn. We made a left heading east, 20 miles north of Labrook. It was a narrow, busy road. Ten miles from the turn was the town of Del Oro, a small, grubby town with a narrow main street. I circled a block until I found an empty meter. I watched her walk away from the car. Men turned to look at her. Men would always turn to look at that walk. I went into the convenience store for some aspirin and a couple of backpacks. I was back in the car when she returned. All right. All right, let's go. I've got what I need. Find a place where you can get off the road. I want to change into this stuff. She pointed at a road, and I turned up it, and we passed two dreary farmhouses. The road entered a patch of woods. I turned onto an old lumber road. The clay was greasy under the wheels. After we went around a bend, I stopped. 
She opened the door on her side and got out. She bent over the seat and opened the bag. She took out a pair of black jeans, some cheap sneakers, and a gray sweatshirt. She took the black suit jacket off and folded it and put it on the back seat. The odd light of the yellow sky came down through the trees. The leaves were dripping. She undid her skirt at the side and stepped out of it carefully. There was no coyness about her, not the slightest flavor of modesty. She did not care whether I stared at her or averted my eyes. She folded the skirt and put it with the jacket. She took her blouse off and put it carefully on the back seat. She stood there in the woodland in a black hat with veil, black Prada stilettos, lacy oyster-white see-through bra and matching see-through panties, looking both provocative and ridiculous. Striptease al fresco. <laughs> Aren't you supposed to stamp your feet or something? Aren't you cold? I am a warm-blooded thing. She put the baggy sweatshirt on and stepped into the jeans and pulled them up around her full hips. She sat on the car seat and took off her black shoes, put them in the back, and put on the sneakers and laced them up. Good God. I haven't had clothes like this in years. How do I look, Hunter? I couldn't tell her how she looked. It wasn't a return to the girl who had gone on bike trips with Floyd. I would have guessed the jeans and sweatshirt would have made her look younger and fresher, but it didn't. Her body was too ripe, her eyes and mouth too knowing. The years had taken her beyond the point where she would wear such clothes and look young. She read the look in my eyes. Not so good, I guess. Not so good at all. You don't have to say it. You look fine. Don't be a damned fool. Wait a minute. Wait a minute while I use the facilities. And then, let's get out of here. She went off into the woods out of sight of the car. She was back in a few minutes. I backed out. I looked at my watch. The time problem had been nicely solved. It was a little past 12.15. I pulled into the yard of the place where Susie had been born. I saw that the girl had finished painting the boat. Mm, it looks even worse than I remember. She got out of the car and went toward the porch. Chickens were under the porch and a dog lay on the porch. He thumped his tail. Susie leaned over and scratched him behind the ear. He thudded the tail with more energy. Her sister came to the doorway, a dirty towel in her hand. Hello, sis. What are you doing here? Andy don't want you coming around here. You know that. Screw Andy. Don't use that kind of language with kids in the house. I'm warning you. The toddler came up behind her mother and stared at us. You're so damn cautious about the kids. You give the kids such a nice home and all. I do what I can do. I do the best I can. Look at the way Sandy's dressed. I sent money. Why don't you spend some of it on the clothes? Or does Andy drink it? There's no reason for her to wear her good stuff around the house. What do you want here, anyway? What did you come here for? She glared at me with piggy eyes and pointed. He was here asking about you. I told him where to look. I guess he found you there, all right. In a big sinful city? Come off it. It eats on you, but you never figured out how to get away from here. Now you've got Andy, and look at you. You're fat... And you're ugly, and you're dirty. The child began to cry again, and Susie's sister turned and slapped the child across the face and sent her back into the house. She turned back to Susie, her face pale. You can't come in my house. I wouldn't put foot in that shack, sis. Are the oars in the shed? What do you want with the oars? I'm taking that boat. There's something I want to show my friend. What do you mean? You can't use any of the boats. 
Maybe you want to try and stop me. I'm using a boat. I'm taking a boat. You go out on that river today, you'll drown yourself. Look at it. Take a good look at it. We turned and looked at the river. The gray water raced by. It had a soapy look. The boil of the current looked vicious. Eh, I've been out in worse than that, and you know it. Is the shed locked? No. Come on, Hunter. I followed her to the shed. She selected a pair of oars and measured them to make certain she had mates. We went to the overturned boat. We righted it. It was heavy. She tried the oars and the locks to be certain they would fit. She got on one side and I got on the other, and we slid the boat stern first down the muddy bank to the water. We put it half in the water. The current caught at it, boiling around the stern. Susie straightened up and looked at the river. Mrs. Scroggins was watching us from the porch. The pale face of the little girl watched us from a cracked window. It's pretty damn rough. We won't won't have much trouble getting down to the island. Island? Right down there. See it? That's where we're going. The island was about 300 yards downstream. It was perhaps 300 feet long and half as wide. It was rocky and wooded. It split the river into two narrow areas of roaring turbulence. I don't think we can make it back to here. We can walk a boat down to the shore and land further down when we leave. Then walk back up to the car and tell them where the boat is. They can get it when the river quiets down. The worst part is going to be right at the start. Let's get it parallel to the shore, Hunter. We struggled with the boat. She slipped on the muddy bank and sat down hard and cursed. I held the stern. The bow was pointed downstream. Shall I row? I'm used to it. Wait until I get set. When I say go, you get into the stern. She got in and put the oars in the locks, held them poised. She nodded to me. I got in. The current caught us. It threatened to spin the boat, but she got it quickly under control. It wasn't necessary to row. She watched over her shoulder and guided us by fast alternate dips of the oars. She was quick and competent. As we neared the island, the fast current split. She dipped both oars and gave a single hard pull that sent us directly at the island. The boat ran ashore. The bow wedging into branches and rubble that had caught there on the shelving shore brought down river by the hard rains. She was out quickly and pulled the boat up further. I jumped out onto the shore and stood beside her. Her eyes were wide and sad and thoughtful. We used to come here a lot. Come on. I followed her. We pushed through the thicket and came to a steep path. They'd come to the island often. So had a lot of other people, leaving behind the empty, rusting beer cans, broken bottles, sodden paper plates, wax paper, tin foil, empty cigarette packs. The path climbed between rocks. She walked quickly. She stopped at a high point, and I came up beside her. It was the highest point of the rocky island, perhaps 60 feet above the level of the river. We stood behind a natural wall of rock. It came to waist level. I could see the shack, see Mrs. Scroggins in the distance walking heavily across the littered yard, see the gleam of my car through the leaves. Look! I looked to where she was pointing. A flat-bottom boat was coming down the river. It was caught in the current and it spun. The man kneeling in the stern, using a single oar as a rudder, brought it under control. 
a dingy red boat under a yellow sky on a soapy gray river. The man in the boat had pale hair. He came closer and I saw his face. He looked up and saw us. To him, we were outlined against the yellow sky. Then the dwarf trees screened him. He, he landed on the island. I knew he had landed. I knew he had watched us. I guess he had gotten hold of a boat and waited on the opposite shore. Stucky would not take the chance of trusting me. Maybe he couldn't. Maybe Irene was dead. That's Stucky. You arranged this? No, honestly, I didn't arrange it. What does he know? Why did he follow us? I think he's guessed we're after the money. She leaned calmly against the rock and folded her arms. All right, James. This is the end of it. You and your friend can hunt for it. Have fun. I'll be damned if I tell you where it is. I took her by the shoulders and shook her. Don't be a damn fool. That man is insane. I mean that. He's killed two people, maybe three. You just can't wait for him and say you won't tell him. Do you think he'll just ask you politely? After he gets his hands on you, you'll tell him. She pushed my hands away. I saw the doubt in her expression. I tried to explain what Stucky was. She looked down the path the way we had come. She bit her lip. Come on, then. Can we circle around and get to the boat? This is better. I followed her. Thank you for listening to Seamus. If you like this episode of Seamus, please leave a review and tell your friends. This has been Seamus, The Case of the Mason Jar, Part 14, The Island. It is based on the book by John MacDonald, A Bullet for Cinderella. Hunter James was played by Tom Hinton. Susie Haver was played by Marsha Taylor. Mrs. Scroggins was played by Julie Scala. I'm Leslie Woodruff. This episode of Seamus was written by Max Reese and directed by Tom Hinton. Seamus is a New Meadows Media production. All rights reserved.